You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is time. It is time. They can't. Packers? Are you crazy? You're listening to Cheese and Packers, a project powered by the Packernet Podcast Network. I am your host, JJ Leahy. You can send a question or a comment into the show by calling or texting 231-714-4195. If you call that number, you can leave a voicemail with questions about this upcoming season, about players on the team, about last year, whatever. You got any burning questions about uh, how Aaron Rodgers did last year, what the offense might look like this year, what changes we're going to see? Are you curious uh, what formations we used the most last year and where that ranked in the NFL? So the kind of information you can find by calling or texting 231-714-4195. If you are on Twitter, at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y, is how you can get in touch with me. You can stay up to date with all the latest news and notes and information and observations and even some memes about the Green Bay Packers. Um, Having some audio issues at the moment for the last couple of episodes, kind of based on nothing. (laughs) I didn't really change my audio setup. I don't have, you know, it's not like I'm missing some equipment that I need or anything. The uh, supporters over at Patreon have been very, very helpful in uh, helping make sure that I have the equipment I need. But I recently installed a new uh, hard drive in my computer, like the the solid-state drive that my computer actually runs off of. So I had to reinstall Windows and everything. And when I did, and I reinstalled all my audio drivers, even though I didn't change anything at all about the physical setup, <laughs> the microphone, the soundboard, all that stuff, the mixer, the the audio, it just changed. The volume has been kind of all over the place. I'm, I'm constantly trying to play with that and get that right. So, um, And two weeks ago, I did an episode where I was talking to Sam Holman and... The darn software I was using switched microphones on me, and it recorded the whole podcast through my the microphone on my, on my webcam. So I apologize for that. It really didn't sound good. Um, I think I have that set up correctly now, and I, I paused at the beginning and re-listened. And it sounds like we are good to go for this episode. But I, I appreciate your uh, patience 
as I was trying to get trying to get that uh, ironed out. And speaking of Patreon, if you are interested in becoming a supporter, you can do so over at patreon.com slash JJ Leahy. I set up some membership tiers. You can do like a custom tier and uh, contribute however much you might want to either per month or uh, in a one-time payment. Uh, but the lowest tier that I set up, I just used like uh, jersey numbers for players. So like the Tony Canadeo war number three. So my lowest tier is the Tony Canadeo tier. We have one patron in that tier. And I didn't go lower than that because Patreon charges a fee for like the processing. And so if it's less than three bucks a month, um, it doesn't make a ton of sense to do it that way. It kind of makes more sense to just do like a one-time uh, payment. You know, like if you want to do a dollar a month, it kind of makes more sense to do just a $12 one-time payment. And if you don't like pay, uh, Patreon, but you still want to support the show financially, um, which I would super appreciate, just reach out to me and I'll happily, uh, you know, give you Venmo, Cash App, that kind of stuff. Not begging for money. I'm just, it's been a while since I have uh, promoted the Patreon or any other ways that you can support this show if you're a fan of it. And so I decided to uh, try and highlight that. Uh, Packers do have a new player on the roster, which means there's got to be a corresponding move. And as of right now, and I've been waiting, but as of right now, they have not announced who they are letting go. So they signed a quarterback. Alex Magoo is his name. It's spelled M-C-G-O-U-G-H. So it looks like Mago or Magoff, but it's pronounced Magoo. He has been playing in the USFL for two years. Apparently he won back-to-back USFL MVPs. Not something that I was aware of because I don't really follow the USFL. I've watched a little bit of it. It's They're still getting going with that. They're still trying to get off the ground. It's you know, you you look like you're watching maybe some D2 college ball. That's about what it looks like. Similar to the, you know, the XFL and the AAF and all these other, the CFL, these alternate football leagues. Um, my observation has been that it is difficult and rare for a player who does really well in one of these minor leagues to then come to the NFL and still um, be an impressive or, or notable player. But Alex Magoo is not without talent. So it'll be interesting to have him in the room. That brings the total to four quarterbacks. And it seems like Goody really likes to keep about four quarterbacks on the roster heading into training camp. He's, he's done that a few times. And then I would anticipate that this is probably the end of the road for Danny Etling which I'm more than okay with. Uh, I have not understood why he's stuck around as long as he has. Uh, we have several mobile quarterbacks on the roster right now. Sean Clifford is an incredible athlete. You may not have the world's highest opinion of him as just a pure passer, but he is uh, just an outstanding athlete. I would say a better athlete than Danny Etling, and that was kind of the only thing notable about Danny. I don't think he really adds any value at all uh, to this roster. So if they, if they, for some reason, end up keeping him around, if if he manages to beat out Sean Clifford and or Alex Magoo, 
Uh, I don't know what we'll, we'll have to really take a more serious look at his preseason tape and, and see what he's really doing. I was very, very, very underwhelmed with what he did in the preseason last year. I really didn't see any value there. I'm not trying to be mean, um, but it's just, it's just tough when, when there's a player that I, I just don't see the value of it's, it's challenging for me to try and, you know, come up with nice things to say. Um, when I'm, I'm just, honesty is a big thing for me and I, I, I have a hard time blowing smoke. And so if I look at a guy and I'm just like, I don't, I don't think he belongs. It's tough for me to talk about him. It's just the, uh, the truth of it. So I get that that probably sounds mean and I apologize for that. Let's talk about, uh, some other stuff here. The Packers announced the signing back during the undrafted free agency period right after the draft of Baylor safety Christian Morgan. And then that got really weird because although they announced him, he then was not at like the the rookie minicamp and you couldn't find him on the actual roster of the website. He He was listed on their announcements page, but then he was not listed on the roster. And so uh, tried to get in touch with Christian to see what was going on. Reached out to his agent. Uh, the agent did receive uh, two different messages from me. He read them, but he did not respond. So no comment from the Christian Morgan camp on why that signing fell through. Uh, reached out to the Packers. No response there either. Seems pretty obvious that he failed his physical. I could be mistaken about that. Um, this is just my conclusion based on the circumstantial evidence that we have here. The Packers are still clearly interested in him. However, they gave him another workout this past week. So far, no signing has been announced. But I think he worked out for the Packers on Tuesday, Tuesday of this week. They also worked out two wide receivers. One of them, Malik Flowers, who went to the University of Montana, He's a 2023 undrafted free agent for the Saints, and he um, had a lot of experience as a returner in college. So, um, you know, Packers did not sign either of these guys, but it is interesting to me that they worked out two wide receivers, and it seems like they are trying to add more options to the roster in terms of returners. That does seem to be something that they are, that they value. Um, You know, even though Keyshawn Nixon did a fabulous job, Last year, you know, I, I don't think that this is like any sort of a sign that that they're not going to have Keyshawn doing returns, but maybe that they just see just a huge value in like, hey, we need options in case for whatever reason we are without Keyshawn Nixon. Okay, let's say he just, you know, tweaks his pinky toe and he just can't do it this week. They want some other good options. I think that they saw the value last year of having guys who are really capable. Uh, in that position. So I think they are going to continue to search and, and just figure out what they can, what they have on their roster. Uh, another interesting bit of news here. Uh, the Jets are planning to release Denzel Mim. So he was a, an early second round pick in 2020 uh, wide receiver. You know that he's a guy who the Packers apparently were really high on. Seems like Denzel Mims is the guy that Brian Gutekunst was referring to when he said that they were exploring trading up in the second round to go get a guy. And then somebody uh, ahead of them took a wide receiver. It's, it seems like that 
person was Denzel Mims. And, and we have heard that Goody likes Denzel. So Jets are planning to release him if they can't find a trade partner. Mims actually had a, a decent rookie season, and it's kind of just been downhill from there. The drops have been a problem for him um, after his rookie season. 2021 and 2022 were just kind of terrible. Um, I, a lot of people really like to throw a lot of quarterback excuses at poor wide receiver production. And I just don't feel like that bears out very much. I do think you tend to see a little bit more going in the reverse where good or bad wide receivers seem to have more of an impact on quarterback play. But the numbers that every time I dive into it, they just don't really bear out that like poor quarterback play hurts wide receivers that much. seems like the wide receivers still produce and still grade out well and still produce, you know, positive EPA and all these advanced metrics that um, try and isolate your, your performance, PFF grades, all that. It seems like wide receivers can still do well without great quarterbacks. So although, yeah, there's been just a complete lack of good quarterback play for the New York Jets, I'm just not that confident that like changing the quarterback would help Mims. I do think getting him in a different locker room in a different offense with different coaches. I think that all is drastic enough that you really could see a big change. You know, he is a talented athlete. He was, he was decent in college. He was not my favorite guy, but you know, certainly has some potential. Yeah, I mean, is this just a, a case of he's really not an NFL guy? It certainly could be. And, uh, you know, the odds are much more likely that that is the case. But I do think it's possible that he could find some success in another offense. Mostly based on the fact that he did he did play relatively well his rookie season in the NFL. OK, so we have one year of some encouraging progress there and then two really awful years. But but like that's wasn't that uncommon, I guess for the New York Jets wide receivers that you just kind of saw guys who would flash in year one and then just completely crap the bed after that. Um, what was his name? Elijah Moore was an example of that. Anyways, will the Packers bring in Denzel Mims? I, I think that it's virtually a guarantee that if somebody else doesn't you know, put a waiver claim on him, that they will try and bring him in for a workout. I think that's something they would like to do. Are they going to sign him? I think due to the fact that he was so recently, you know, a top draft prospect, uh, you know, thought of as like a potentially a late first round, early second round guy, which is, you know, early second is where he ended up going. I think there's going to be enough interest around the league that, that there's going to be teams who put waiver claims on him. So Packers are going to be relatively early on in waiver priority. Uh, you know, I, th I think they're going to be sitting at, 15 in waiver priority, if, I, if I'm correct there, 15 or 14. But uh, I don't know if that's, if that's how that's going to work. But it would be interesting. I think that there's enough room on the roster right now. There's enough jobs that are open that a guy who has talent and athleticism could really seize an opportunity for himself there. You know, I think that uh, 
I think there's three really established wide receiver um, jobs that are going to Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Jaden Reed. After that, I think it's nearly wide open. All right, everybody has their favorite, you know, seventh round pick or fourth round pick or undrafted guy who they're like, oh no, no, this guy's definitely making the roster. I I don't think that that is true at all. I think that if a, if a guy with Mims's potential is available, I think Goody would not blink for a second at trying him out and seeing if there if there's a role for him, you know, as a uh, third or fourth wide receiver on this team. I'm trying to say if we should talk about the whole running back thing. The, people are upset about the uh, running back salaries, and I'm trying to decide if I should go on a rant about that because I probably could turn that into the rest of the episode, but I really kind of want to get started on a new sort of project that I want to do on the podcast. I will summarize with this. You can find a lot of uh, information that I put on Twitter about the running back salary thing. The The talking points you're hearing and the, you know, the stuff that the running backs themselves are upset about is nonsense. It's pure nonsense. Um, it's surprising to me that more of these big media outlets are not doing more to uh, present logic and facts and analytics and, oh, I don't know, actual dollar amounts for the public. And I suspect that the reason they're not doing that is, number one, they don't want to look like the bad guys because the running backs are upset because the running, running backs feel like they're not getting paid enough. So I think they don't want to look like the bad guys. And I also think that you know there's nothing going on right now in NFL circles. And so if people are interested in talking about this, I think that the NFL media who desperately need some viewers, I think they are going to welcome all the eyeballs that they can get. So that's my theory. I will just say none of the data backs up what people are saying about how running backs are really underpaid and all that stuff is is simply not true. Um, and I elaborated that to that effect in great detail on Twitter. Okay. You know, this is funny. I, when I record this podcast, I, I typically do a lot of like pausing, <laughs> uh, talk for a couple minutes and then pause and talk for a couple minutes more and pause. I only have one pause so far. It's at the uh, five minute mark. So I've been talking for 13, almost 13 minutes straight here without any pause. Um, so I think what I should do is stop and take an ad break. And then, but what I'm going to do first, I'm going to preview for you what we're starting. And I have debated like how many episodes do I want to chunk this up into? Do I want to do offense, defense? Do I want to cram it all into one episode? I don't think that I want to stretch it into one episode per position group. I, I just think that I talk too fast to do that, <laughs> but I want to, Look at the look at the roster that we have today and do expectations. Okay. Setting expectations. Cause and we've done this um over the last couple of years as well. But talking about pre and post season, you have a, a very different view of the guys on your roster. And a lot of the time you kind of forget how you used to view these guys where they came from, you know, Alan Lazard is a big example of this. Like, I mean, he started out as kind of one of these, uh, I'm trying to think who the best 
comparison would be like Jeff Cotton. Okay. He started out as like a Jeff Cotton or Bo Melton type guy where, you know, added at the very tail end of the season, name that kind of just hangs around for a long time. Reggie Bagleton is another one where it's like, hey, you know, you got a few people who are like, you know, diehard Alan Lazard truthers. I was actually one of those. Um, we're not going to talk about the guys who I was a diehard truther for who didn't pan out. But, you know, we'll focus on the guy who did pan out. <laughs> we'll pretend the other ones didn't happen. But uh, I, w- I was a big, uh, you know, as were a lot of people, you know, excited about the idea of Alan Lazard. And then, you know, preseason came around and he really flashed and he was cool and easy to root for. And then he ends up getting cut and everybody's like, oh, man, how did you miss on Alan Lazard? You know, and the truth is like that happens with a lot of players who then are absolutely no good and go on to do absolutely nothing. But Alan Lazard gets re-signed after who was it who got hurt? EQ. It was Equinemia St. Brown got, got hurt. So they picked Alan Lazard back up. And at that point, you know, the perception of Alan Lazard and the expectations of him were very different at the beginning of 2019 than you know, where things end up at the end of the year. And, and um, I'll give you another example just from last year, Tyler Davis. Okay. Earlier on, you know, like in training camp and everything, wow, there were some just diehard Tyler Davis truthers. Like they really believed in this guy. And this is kind of one of those examples of like, you know, then once the season started, like he looked terrible and everybody wanted him cut. And then like by the end of the season, he really was playing some, some totally competent football. He was, um, certainly an asset on special teams. And I think that it's helpful for us to look at the beginning of the season at what we have in these guys and, and establish because at the end of the season, we're going to come in and we're going to just blast the guys who didn't do well enough. All right. We do this every year. You know, last year, I had a lot of criticisms of Brian Gutekunst, of Aaron Rodgers, of Matt LaFleur, of Joe Barry, of Adam Stenovich, and talking about like, man, you know, here's where these guys failed. And I think that those sort of post-mortem analysis bits on on players and coaches and pers- you know, executives, I think they carry a little bit less weight when you don't stop and take stock at the beginning of the season of, listen, at the end of the season, we're going to evaluate their performance. But we we have to have something to measure that against. We have to measure it against, well, what, what actually are the expectations of these guys? So I think I want to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with where do I start? Because normally when I do any kind of a roster uh, cover at all, I start with quarterback and move on to running back and wide receiver and tight end and then offensive line. That's like the order that I do it. Then I move on to the defense. But that means I'd be starting with quarterbacks and I kind of want to save Jordan Love for later on. I don't want to like lead with him because I think like the Jordan Love expectations are by far the most interesting thing to talk about here. And so I don't know. I kind of want to. I kind of want to tease you guys a bit and, and Hey, let's do some of the other important, you know, positions first that are still important, but not as juicy as quarterback. And like, let's build up to that. So I think we're going to start probably with running back and wide receiver and take it from there. See how many position groups we get done with today. Then 
We'll build our way on toward quarterback. And I probably will do quarterback before I do anything on defense. But I do think it's really important for us to establish what our expectations are so you can then measure how guys did. Okay. All right. We're going to take our quick break here from our sponsors. and I'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, uh, starting with running backs, you got the big two, you got the draft pick and then you got everybody else. So let's start with everybody else. Expectations for Patrick Taylor, Tyler Goodson and Emmanuel Wilson. I would classify these three guys as individuals who we don't have any expectations for at all. If they can make the practice squad, I think that's a plus. So if they fail to make the 53, I don't think that that is failing to meet expectations. If they make the the practice squad, and I think that at least one of them will, I think that that is about as much as you can hope for if you are Patrick Taylor, Tyler Goodson, or Manny Wilson. There's just not a lot that these guys have going for them as they are trying to make the roster compared to the three guys ahead of them. So uh, let's talk first about Emmanuel Wilson. He is uh, an undrafted rookie who played at Fort Valley State, and then he spent like two minutes on the on the Broncos roster. And then the, the Packers ended up picking him up back in mid-May. He's five foot ten, two hundred and twenty-six pounds. Um, he was the Division II All-American uh, in twenty twenty-two. Rushed for 1,371 yards, 17 touchdowns, 6.6 yards per carry. 
That's very impressive numbers, uh, even for Division II. Um, certainly a guy who can understand why the Packers brought him in. Relatively athletic-ish. He's above average anyways. 6.84 relative athletic score. Um, he scored very poorly in the agility drill. So the short shuttle and the three cone. Um, he was in the mid threes, which is bad. Mid threes out of 10. His 20-yard split also wasn't great, but his 10-yard split and his 40-yard dash were both classified as good. So his 40 time was uh, 4.55. So, you know, it's it's okay. It's fine. Uh, the height and weight you are happy with. This is a prototypical Packers wide uh, running back. Um, his uh, uh, explosion grades were pretty good. Uh, 6.14 and 7.15 out of 10. So uh, you'd like to see that. I think with Emmanuel Wilson, uh, his path to be, to the roster very clearly is going to be um, showing that he can contribute on special teams and showing that he can block well. And I think um, in addition to that, if he can add some value as a receiver, I think he's really challenging uh, Lou Nichols for that RB3 spot. I would be very, very, very surprised if the Packers keep four running backs. So you really are trying to gun for Lou Nichols here. Um, just as a, as a 2023 draft pick, this guy, uh, Lou, Lou Nichols, we'll talk about him in, in just a second. High upside, um, a lot more um, uh, capital invested in him than any of these other three running backs. And then, you know, Patrick Taylor and Tyler Goodson, you know who they are already. Uh, some of you are going to be fans of either one of these two guys. And understandably, I like both of them a lot. But all three of these depth running backs who are on this uh, roster they got a long way to go to uh, earn a roster spot. By far, the most likely path to them earning a roster spot is an injury to one of the top three running backs. I think short of that, I think Lou Nichols would have to be really bad in order to lose out to one of these, these lower three running backs. Patrick Taylor and Tyler Goodson have been here a while. Patrick Taylor is entering his third year here, I think, but he still has some practice squad eligibility left. Um, that's a negative for you. If you've been around for a long time and you haven't shown enough to make them invest uh, a true roster spot in you, it's, it's a bad sign for your future with the Packers. Talking about Lou Nichols. Um, he went to CMU, uh, Central Michigan, I know because my brother goes there, and it's an easy one for me to remember. I like Lou Nichols a lot. I'm a lot more excited about him than I ever was about Kylan Hill. I think with Lou Nichols, the challenge that he faces is going to be cleaning up his pass pro. Um, it, it was not good in college, and that is really going to be Something that Matt LaFleur has a hard time overlooking. If you can't pass protect, he's not going to waste a roster spot on you. All right, we saw last year, um, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon were the only running backs on the 53. They did eventually elevate uh, Patrick Taylor to the roster, and he got a little bit of playing time. Uh, but for a lot of the season, there were only two running backs. Matt LaFleur, although he likes to run the ball, I think he's more than content with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. He's not going to force 
a third running back onto the roster if he doesn't believe that that guy is special. Um, so, you know, the, as far as expectations go for Lou Nichols as a draft uh, pick for this year, and we've seen how willing Brian Gutekinds is to keep you on the roster at kind of at all costs if you are a, a, a rookie draft pick, the expectation is to make the roster. If he can make the roster and he can improve in pass pro to the point where he stays on the roster for the whole season. That in my book is a win. I think Lou Nichols has some value to add as a runner. I think he's, he has been a pretty underwhelming uh, receiver and a downright terrible pass blocker. So those are the areas for him to really work on. I think if he makes the roster, you're going to see him getting about the exact same amount of usage as like uh, Patrick Taylor got over the last couple of years. You know, basically just some garbage time cleanup duties. Very unlikely to get any real playing time, even if Aaron Jones or AJ Dillon go down. You're not likely to see Lou Nichols on the field very much until he really, really gets good at pass blocking. This is just a humongous point of emphasis for uh, Ben Sermons and for Matt LaFleur. So expectations. If Lou Nichols can make the roster, I think he meets expectations. If he can stay on the roster the whole season, I would say we um, probably would define that as exceeding expectations. So fingers crossed for that. Uh, Would really like to see that for Lou, Lou Nichols. He seems like a good guy. Seems like he has a lot of talent. Um, so really would like to see that. Okay. Moving on to the big two, Aaron Rodgers and AJ Dillon, I'm sorry, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Um, I have a pretty stout expectation for AJ Dillon to really experience a rebirth this year. All right. It's a contract year for him. If he plays like he played last year, he's not getting a big contract. A.J. Dillon's goal should be to earn a big payday. Make the Packers keep you around by going out there on the field and putting together a killer performance of consistency. Um, I want to see him take that next step as a runner that Derrick Henry took in his breakout year, or I should say at the, the tail end of the year in which he broke out. Um. You probably have heard the story because Derrick Henry, after an impressive college career, came into the pros and was just, I mean, humongously underwhelming to begin his career. Then he has a phone call with the all-time great Eddie George. And Eddie George basically dresses him down and says, like, dude, what the heck are you doing? You are a humongous monster human being. Why are you running like a small running back? Why are you going down when a guy tackles you? Fight through that. You are bigger than these guys. Beat them up. Run through them. Run over them. A.J. Dillon needs to have that same uh, evolution in his game. And we've seen it at times. All right, I think back in the uh, 2020 season, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, there were there was uh, there were two different plays that I can picture where he's dragging just a ton of defenders. There's one play where he is dragging six Buccaneers defenders, 
and and he fights through for like two extra yards with these six guys on his back. It's insane. He's got the build to do it. AJ Dillon is a carry the ball 20 times a game. Um, you know, workhorse bruiser. He and Aaron Jones work at their best when Aaron Jones is exhausting the defense, making him run sideline to sideline. And then AJ Dillon comes in and just pounds the ball down the middle over these exhausted defenders. And there's nothing they can do. Nothing they can do. They can try and gang tackle him. It doesn't matter because Aaron Jones with his speed and his shiftiness and his vision, he stretches the defense horizontally. They are exhausted. And then AJ Dillon comes in with these humongous legs and just barrels through. And there's nothing they can do. Think the uh, 49ers in that 2019 NFC championship game with Raheem Mostert running for like 400 freaking yards. Okay. This is the vision for A.J. Dillon. Aaron Jones is getting um, toward the end of his career. I don't know how many years he has left. I feel pretty comfortable in saying it's statistically unlikely that he has many years left at his peak. I think that his statistical peak seems to have been a couple years ago. Um, no disrespect. Uh the, the numbers are just not quite where they have been in the past. He hasn't been able to replicate the, um, the touchdown numbers that he had in 2019. He's still been a good player. All right. Uh, last year, 2022, was the highest PFF grade he's ever posted. Uh, by far the highest rushing grade he ever posted, 90.7. His previous high was in 2018 with an 85. Just a fantastic uh, performance from... Aaron Jones, but it does seem like he's wearing out a little bit. Last uh, few years, his rushing attempts have gone down. There was a big expectation from everybody that the run game would be a much bigger focus in 2022. Once Devonta Adams left, I think that really didn't materialize that much. Part of that, I think, was because A.J. Dillon was not playing at the level that we wanted. Now, A.J. Dillon was not bad. Let's let's get that straight. A.J. Dillon was not bad last year. He was actually quite good, but it, would, it was just so far from what we were all expecting. Uh, he finished the season with an 81.4 offensive grade, an 88.1 rushing grade. So, you know, playing at a, a very comparable level to what Aaron Jones did. Uh, but the uh, receiving took a bit of a step back. The pass blocking was not consistent enough. Now, Aaron Jones' pass blocking was in the 50s, so you know I'm not going to lay into uh, A.J. Dillon too much, but there were, there were multiple. I, I think with, with A.J. Dillon, what you saw was momentary lapses of concentration where he's doing fine a lot of the time, and then you would have a play that was just completely blown up because Dillon – seemed distracted, seemed like he wasn't focused, and a guy just blew past him with absolutely no hindrance from A.J. Dillon. And the last three games of the season were quite bad for A.J. Dillon. Uh, the only really positive grade that he put up in the last three games of the season was an 81 pass blocking grade against Minnesota. That's it. Everything else he did 
pretty sub- subpar. I guess his rushing grade against Detroit was decent, but point being the uh, offensive line blocked a lot better in 2022 than they did in 2021 uh, run, run blocking. And it seemed like the, the running backs themselves were not uh, producing at the level that we were hoping to see. It was not a true step back from 2021. Uh, Certainly not for, for Jones it was a little bit of a step back for AJ Dillon, but I think that we all were really expecting this third year breakout for AJ Dillon. And it just didn't materialize. His rushing attempts went down uh, by 11 from 2021 to 2022. The rushing grade went down slightly. The pass blocking uh, did improve. So that was nice. The the receiving grade went down 14.8 points. His overall grade went down by about five points. Point being, we were looking for a big breakout year, and instead we got a slight regression. Moreover, I think from A.J. Dillon, although he has been good, we've been looking for special, because Aaron Jones is special. And A.J. Dillon was drafted in the second round to come in and be special, to be the workhorse of the offense, and he has just been the second fiddle to Aaron Jones ever since he got here. So my expectation for A.J. Dillon, this is a contract year. Um, I I feel pretty comfortable in saying that it's likely that he will be back, that we'll be back next year. But I want him to make the Packers pay him big time this next offseason because of how well he plays this year. I want A.J. Dillon to be spoken about as one of the best running backs in football. He does not get spoken about that way. And this is what I'm looking for from A.J. Dillon because, listen, you have a ton of talent. You've been here for a long time, so my expectations for you are sky high. Like, you know, if we were when, – when we're doing these examinations of the roster every year, what are expectations for Aaron Rodgers, for Devontae Adams? You expect elite. You expect perfection because of the amount of talent they have. I'm putting A.J. Dillon – up in this same level of expectations where dude, this is year four for you. You are lacking nothing physically. And there's no reason last year and this year, why running wouldn't be a huge focus for the offense. Make the Packers run the offense through you. It's time. These are my expectations for AJ Dillon. If he just turns in another year of basically the same um, production they had the last two years, and you get to the end of the season, you're like, all right, you know, he's good. You're glad he's on the team. But, like, I mean, we kind of need to keep Aaron Jones, right? No. I want A.J. Dillon to play so well that at the end of the season, you're like, dude, what are we paying Aaron Jones for? A.J. Dillon is the dude. All right. And that is not a statement about Aaron Jones. It's a statement about what I want from A.J. Dillon. This is where my expectations are for him. When it comes to Aaron Jones... Um, I think I would really like to see more consistency from him as a receiver. He's been a good receiver multiple times in his career. 2019, he was one of the best receivers on our team. Um, Skip a year. And then 2021, he was also a good receiver. In 2020 and 2022, he was like kind of barely average as a receiver overall. 
and starting from week technically from week 10 on his receiving grade got worse every single week for the rest of the year. I guess that's not technically true because from week 17, when he had a 33 receiving grade, which is horrific, he did improve in week 18 to a 34.8. So 1.8% better or 1.8 points better from his season low of 33 in week 17. Uh, but his three worst games of the entire year were week three against Tampa, week 17 against Minnesota, and week 18 against Detroit. Minnesota and Detroit did not have good defenses last year. Um, and now Aaron, with the, the Tampa thing, I'll just say Aaron Jones has always struggled against Tampa. Every game he's ever played against them, he's been terrible. So whatever. Maybe it's like the Aaron Rodgers San Francisco thing where it's like you just have a mental block, I guess. Um, but they also have those linebackers, those great coverage linebackers, sideline to sideline linebackers in Devin White and Levante David down in Tampa. They're just kind of Aaron Jones's Achilles heel, which is why um, AJ Dillon has always been the uh, the back that you're supposed to run when you're facing Tampa or or similar defenses like that. San Francisco is the same deal. Okay, I think that about does it for the running backs individually. And then as a room, I will collectively say, you know, yes, we're looking for, for better. I maybe I should talk a little bit more about Aaron Jones. I want to see better receiving from Aaron Jones. And I think for me, and it's dumb because it's just one play, but one of the, one of the sticking points for me for when I think about Aaron Jones, 2022 season, Again, I know it's stupid. It's probably just some emotion in there because it's one play. But the pass from Jordan Love that just sails through Aaron Jones's arms in that Philly game, and it's like perfect ball placement. And Chris Collinsworth, you know, they, they do the replay, and he's like, Jones should have caught that. But, I mean, you can't put a ball in a better spot than, than Jordan Love did there. I think – my my overwhelming feelings about Aaron Jones from that season are kind of, I guess, exemplified in that play where it's like, usually Aaron Jones is like the really dependable dude that you go to when all the chips are down because you just know he's not going to let you down. I think Jamal Williams was kind of that as well. Devontae Adams was that. And it felt like last year, you didn't focus on it too much because so many other things were just kind of going to hell in a handbasket, but like Aaron Jones just wasn't that dude anymore. And I don't think it's an age thing, but it just seemed like in the really important pivotal moments, usually Aaron Jones is a guy that you can lean on to get, the, get you that first down, get you that touchdown when you really need it, you know, just break open an explosive play when it feels like the defense is smothering everything you're trying to do in the passing game. And it just seemed like Jones just wasn't there in the same way that he's been in, in past years. So I kind of, I, I want to see that back. And I think that probably just the overall um, dip in, in receiving play from Jones is probably the big thing that, that you're seeing there. Um, he did have a one, two, three, four, five, about a five game stretch from week 11 to week 16, where he kind of just couldn't do anything right. Um, you know, very poor receiving grade, really poor rushing grade. 
uh, inconsistent at best pass blocking grade. Like he's got, you know, in week 16, he had a 6.5 pass blocking grade in week 17. He was back up to a 74.6, just kind of, I don't know, erratic, I guess. He did turn it back on at the end of the year, and he, he put together two really good rushing performances in a row in Week 17-18. That's the 33 and 34.8 uh, pa- uh, receiving grade games, but he rushed well. But I kind of just I, – I want Aaron Jones to show me that, you know, number one, the dependability thing was kind of a blip in 22, and that the – overall really good rushing grade that he got, you know, 90.7. I mean, his, his receiving grade for the year was a 64.6. Not good. Pass blocking grade for the year, 50.6. Not good. Really not good. But that running rushing grade of 90.7, the best is in his career. I want to feel like, okay, no, that really is who he is. And even if he takes a little bit of a step back due to age, you know, maybe the speed isn't quite there. You know, maybe he can't get have you know quite as many carries per game as he has in years past. That you really still feel like he's that still that special magical player. And in 2022, although the rushing grade was really high, you know his rushing grade has always been high. But that has is not what really makes him feel special. It's the dependability. It's the hey, all chips are down, but all of a sudden we got some magic from Aaron Jones, or like hey, it's you know third and seven. And the game is really on the line. Boom. Jonesy is the guy converting that first down. I just want to feel like Jones is the guy that you can really trust again. In addition to AJ Dillon really taking a leap. And I think Dillon taking a leap is a good thing for Jones. It takes some pressure off of him, allows him more space to operate that, hey, maybe he really can flourish more as a receiver when AJ Dillon is on the field. Um, you know, this is a big thing we talked about last year. It's like we want to see a lot of them running two running back sets, and they didn't. It was one of the lowest uh, personnel groupings that they used all year. In fact, they leaned more heavily into the two tight end sets than they had uh, uh, in any recent year. They were they had the most two tight end sets of any team in football. All right, they were leaning on broken down, can't do anything anymore. Robert Tunyon still trying to come back off of his his ACL tear and uh, Tyler freaking Davis instead of putting their two running backs on the field. And I think almost everybody who talked about the Packers in the preseason said these two running backs are probably your two best skill players. Everybody said that. Then they listed, you know, Al Lazard is like third and then said, Hey, you know, Christian Watson's got the talent. If he can put it together, you know, he's probably has the most potential of anybody here, but your two most special offensive players, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. How many times did you hear that? You didn't hear it once the season started. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you really didn't. Um, okay. So I think we've talked about enough about running backs. I'm going to start on wide receivers and we may kind of double dip on wide receivers with next week's episode, but let's talk about these guys. Um, we got a lot of receivers on the roster right now. We got five, 10, 11 receivers on the roster right now. So I'm going to lump a few guys together who are in the no expectations category for me. And that would be, uh, Jeff Cotton, Deuce Watts, uh, Bo Melton, Malik Heath, uh, 
maybe not Malik Heath, Jadakus Bonds. So you got four guys, Bo Melton, Deuce Watts, Jeff Cotton, and Jadakus Bonds. If those guys, um, any of those guys make the practice squad, I think that's a should be viewed as a pretty big win for them because they are just trying to make it, you know, as an NFL player. And at this point in your career, you just need to earn a roster spot. And and if that is a practice squad spot, if it's, hey, you can get elevated for a bit because, um, you know, they think you can really contribute on special teams or, you know, can fill in due to some injuries. This is how you get some playing time. Malik Heath to me is in a little bit of a different category because I think he's already turned heads this uh, preseason. Um, you know, the OTAs and all that. OTAs and minicamp, you kind of heard Malik Heath's name over and over and over and over again, similar to um, what you heard from uh, Tyler Davis last year, and then it ended up not materializing into anything, similar to what you hear, heard from Alan Lazard a couple of years ago. I think Malik Heath seems to be in that category of he's making plays and turning heads, and I think that that is the best position you can be in as an undrafted free agent. The Packers are one of the more generous teams in the league in terms of giving out roster spots to undrafted free agents. I think a couple of years ago, they finally broke their streak where they had um, one UADFA um, on the initial 53-man roster for like, I mean, 15 years in a row or something. But it's still a really high percentage of the time that they carry at least one UDFA. So I think with the Packers, Malik Heath has a good chance at earning a job. Here's the guys that he is really competing with. And I, I put Bo Melton in the no expectations category. Uh, I did it for, for a reason um, because I think that he, there's just way too much competition and he's been here for a little while. Uh, but Bo Melton has some really special speed and I think other than Christian Watson, Bo Melton's kind of the only guy with that type of just true blazing speed in this wide receiver room. You know, uh, Tay Wicks is a little bit sh- uh, slower. Grant DeBose and Samori Torre, very slow. You know, you look at all the other dudes, you know, Jadakus Bonds and, and Malik Heath and Jeff Cotton, Deuce Watts, nothing to write home about in terms of speed. I think Jaden Reed is a very special player. And I kind of think that Jaden Reed is he, he's a, a much more similar body type to Bo Melton, who's, you know, this short, speedy guy. I kind of think they had Bo Melton and they just wanted a better version of him. And they took Jaden Reed. And they, I made this kind of, this uh, comparison before. And I think I was talking about uh, um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, as a draft prospect and saying like Jaden Reed kind of in that Jackson Smith and Jigba mold didn't have the same production on the field that Jackson did, but a very similar skill set. And if you believe that, that uh, he's going to put it together, he's not really lacking the physical tools to make that happen. I think, um, I think Malik Heath, Samori Torre and Grant DuBose and to definitely to an extent, uh, Tay Wicks, I think there's just a, an amount of redundancy there with those guys to where there is an opportunity for a Malik Heath to really surprise and steal a roster spot. And I think the guys who are uh, draft picks 
have an advantage over him. But you think back to the uh, uh, Malik. Uh, what in the world was his name? Malik. We're talking about Malik Heath now, but what's the Malik who is with us for forever? Taylor. Okay, there was a Malik Tyler and a Malik Taylor at the exact same time, the same offseason. And Malik Tyler was kind of the more uh, impressive athlete. Malik Taylor was a little bigger. And, you know, cut down day came and they got rid of um, Jake Kumaro really surprisingly. They got rid of Malik Tyler. And you're, you know, as you're watching the list get whittled down smaller and smaller, you're like, man, who's the, the last wide receiver going to be? And it ended up being Malik Taylor. It was just like shocking to everybody. But he had earned his role through special teams. He just had really excelled there and impressed and he earned a roster spot despite, I don't know, I think having a relatively low ceiling. I think maybe this is sort of the mold that maybe Malik Heath could find himself in of you work harder than everybody else. You do a few things that are really special and you earn playing time somewhere that way. And I think that special teams could be an avenue for Malik Heath. I also think that there's enough wide receiver jobs available that any one of these guys who has some talent, sorry, but I'm not including Jacob Bonds in there. I don't think that he has any NFL talent really can earn themselves a job. You got three guys who are locked in Watson, Dobbs and Reed are on the roster. After that, yeah, Dontavian Wicks is an earlier draft pick. Grant Dubose is a current draft pick. Samari Toure was a draft pick last year and is definitely the guy on the roster with the most slot experience, except for maybe Romeo Dobbs. Those guys have some things that kind of make them special. But I don't think it's so special that, you know, their roster spot is is truly safe from Malik Heath if he's going to do some Al Lazard type stuff and just be dependable and really develop a relationship with the quarterback and and with Rich Bisaccia. So this is the the path forward. Okay, I've talked too much about Malik Heath. Samari Toure, I've talked about at length. Um, basically, the uh, expectation here, make the roster. Make the roster. Um, get some playing time in this offense. There's not a lot of established guys. There are plenty of offensive snaps to go around. If you can't, what are we even doing here? If you can't compete with Tay Wicks and Grant Dubose, what are you doing here, man? What's the point? All right. You've been here a year longer than these dudes. You know the playbook. You should know the playbook in and out. You've been in the NFL locker room for a year. Use these things to your advantage. All right. We're having the whole, you know, best shape of his life conversation with Smarty Torre and, and his wide receiver coach is gushing over him. Okay, whatever. I, I really don't buy it. That's fine. I need I need him to make this materialize into playing time. Everybody's super excited because he had a couple of cool plays in the preseason last year. He caught a touchdown against the Bills. We're completely ignoring that he failed to earn any special team snaps. All right. The, the uh, Minnesota game, second, second um, to last game of the year, 
he was allowed to play two snaps on special teams. That's the only appearance he ever made on special teams. That is a humongous miss for Samari Toure. If you want to be on the roster, Rich Bisaccia should be one of your best friends. You need to be putting in the effort to try and earn special team snaps. There's a lot of young wide receivers on this roster. Anybody who can get Rich Bisaccia to go before Brian Gutekunst and argue your case is, is going to be well served to do that. And I, I just, I'm looking at Grant DuBose and I'm looking at Samari Touré and I'm saying, dude, this is your competition right here. You gotta beat him out. There's a lot of people who really believe that Samari Touré can be um, impactful in the slot. Great. We need a slot receiver. Packers are trying to put Jaden Reed in the slot. I don't think that's really Jaden Reed's best um, position. Jaden is a, a pretty good boundary receiver. I'd like to see him out there. So, Samari, if you can take that slot receiver job, great. It's right there for the taking. Very little res- resistance in front of you. All you have to do is basically not be a complete waste of a roster spot and they're going to give you playing time in this offense because there's just not a lot of established guys. So for Samari Toure, beat out Grant DuBose, uh, you know, maybe beat out Tay Wicks, beat out Malik Heath. I would just say, I think Samari Toure should be very um, concerned about letting Malik Heath pass him because you got a pile of guys. Um, who are not very fast <laughs> and Samari Torre is not very fast and he's not very big. It's not going to take very much for a big guy who's not fast to pass you when you're a small guy who's not fast. So you need to be a really working your butt off. You need to be a route running technician. There's plenty of guys who succeed in the league like that. What's his name with the, uh, Tyler with the Seahawks. I'm blanking on his name. You know the guy. Tyler Lockett. All right, that's Tyler Lockett. A lot of the time that was Devonta Adams. He was not the fastest. DeAndre Hopkins, not the fastest. Although Hopkins is kind of bigger. There's guys out there who make it as later draft picks who don't have the speed or the size, but they do everything with excellence. I've never seen that from Smarty Tory. I need to start seeing that from him. I need to see excellence. Can't have fumbles, man. All right. The fumbles, the drop passes, that has to get cleaned up because it's a it's a tough business here in the NFL. There's a lot of young, hungry wide receivers in that same room with you gunning for your job. The only advantage that you have over several of these guys is that you've been here for a year. You've been working with your wide receiver coach for a year. You've had access to the weight room. I hope you made good use of it. You had access to the playbook. You better have memorized it. If you really understand this offense in and out, that's a huge bonus. And I think that making the roster is likely at that point. So uh, I'm just saying that, you know, that's kind of the minimum that I'm asking of you. If you can do that, you're making the roster, dude. So expectations for Smarty Tory, make the roster. Expectations for Grant DuBose. I think... His path to the roster is a little bit easier as a uh, rookie draft pick as opposed to Samari. So 
I think what you have to do is earn that roster spot. Just don't look lost. Get the roster spot, and you're fine. And then stay on the roster. Um, you know, similar to what I said about Lou Nichols. I think Lou Nichols and Grant Dubose, very same positions here. Um, you know, you, you pretty much have a roster spot gift wrapped to you as long as you're not, you know, either really incompetent or, you know, as long as you're not like some hothead idiot who's ticking off the coaches in the locker room, that kind of stuff, which we've seen. <laughs> uh, Kylan Hill is not here anymore because he ticked off the coaches. Okay. So this is it. Grant Dubose, Lou Nichols, you guys pretty much have a roster spot gift wrapped to you. Don't lose it. Finish out the whole season on the team. See what we can do in year two. Make uh, make every opportunity that you're given to get any playing time. Make sure that you're taking that seriously and that you're making the most of it. Tay Wicks. I think there's a substantial role here for Tay Wicks to um, contribute on the offense. I think about 300 yards sounds right for Tay Wicks, assuming nobody ahead of him misses time or just really stinks. I think as wide receiver four, about 300 yards feels about right. Um, this is kind of the area that you saw uh, Lazard and MVS living in for a couple of years. Now, MVS had no business only earning 300 yards in a year. That was ridiculous. Um, he had way too much speed and physical talent to only be producing 300 yards. But point being that that guy on the roster typically is gunning for about 300 yards. If you can do that and you show some special stuff shows like uh, sh shows that it looks like you have a firm grasp of the offense, that you understand the playbook that you can run block. I think that you probably can earn yourself another couple of years here to really develop and, and try and turn into something special. I think Tay Wicks, maybe we will start thinking of him in a maybe sort of a similar vein to where our early hopes for Geronimo Allison were. So don't think about, you know, how you felt about Geronimo at the end of his career here. Think about what you kind of hoped he would turn into. I think that's about what your expectations and desires should be for Tay Wicks. Now, the big three, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed. Christian Watson needs to establish that he is a number one wide receiver in the NFL. I think that he laid some really good framework for that last year. What we need to see, number one, stay healthy for the whole year. Health was a problem for him last year. He missed time multiple times last year. He had multiple injuries he was dealing with. Got to stay healthy. I think that... Uh, if he has put some muscle on and it looked like, you know, in the, uh, during OTAs, it looked like he was a little more muscular than he had been. I think that would serve him well. Um, if he hasn't been bulking up, I think he should be bulking up. Yes. He's got that, that elite top end speed and you don't want to sacrifice that, but you know what? The speed also doesn't do you any good if you're sitting on the bench. So let's get him fully healthy. Let's make sure he stays healthy. Let's put some muscle on so he can stay healthier. And then I think I was really, really impressed with the growth that I saw from Christian in his route running last year. It was really impressive. Um, just by leaps and bounds, he was so, so, so much better than he had been in college. He's a quick learner. He's a smart guy. I'm very impressed with him. I think at this point in his career, and I was 
I was not a big believer in Christian Watson early on. I'm a, I'm a late adopter. I admit it. But at this point in his career, I just don't see any limitations for him. All right. Sky's the limit. Go out there. Be one of the top guys. Uh, you should be one of the early players drafted in fantasy drafts for 2024 based on what you did in 2023. Uh, this is kind of where, where expectations are for you. Very, very talented. Uh, seems like you've got uh, really good chemistry with Jordan Love. We need to see that continue. Christian Watson, the expectation for him here is establish himself as a true number one receiver in the NFL. Let's see if we can uh, just have, if, if we can have him playing as our X receiver and not just be limited to being a Z and you know maybe doing a crossing route here or there or do these jet sweeps. If he's got a full playbook and he's lining up as that X receiver, I think that is the best possible outcome for this offense. And you have your number one and you have replaced Devante. All right. That's the goal here. And I was very low on Christian Watson last year. When I did the expectations episode a year ago, my expectations that I was setting for him were very low. He smashed those, blew him out of the water. He was fantastic. And he answered a lot of the questions and the doubts that I had about him. I'm a big time Christian Watson believer here. And yeah, no limitations anymore from me on Christian Watson. So very, very, very high expectations. Um, Not saying that if he can't do those, that he's a disappointment, but I will be feeling pretty disappointed (laughs) because I believe that that greatness is within reach for him this year. Jaden Reed, my expectations are really unclear. I think what I want for Jaden Reed is for him to show me why the Packers drafted him. Um, He was a a good receiver at Michigan state for sure. Um, I am still trying to familiarize myself with what I think his game will be for the Packers. You know, Romeo Dobbs has kind of established himself more as that short yardage guy. We need another deep threat. And I think Jaden Reed probably can fill that, but the Packers are also trying to kind of force him into that slot receiver role. So it's a little hard for me to set expectations as far as, you know, yardage. Oh, and at Christian Watson, I'm I'm setting, you know, 900 yards. I think he can crack 900. Um, I think that uh, he's probably not going to be the most targeted receiver in the offense, which is fine. Um, and that's mostly just due to kind of what I think his game is, but I think he can crack 1,000 yards. Um, sorry, I think he can, he can crack 900 yards. If he can crack a thousand, that'd be very, very exciting. Al Lazard fell short of the expectations we had set for him. We said that he was going to be like an 800 to thousand yard receiver. He didn't quite crack 800 yards. He was at 788. Christian Watson in how many games did he play last year? He played 11 games. Sorry, he played it. He appeared in 14 games. He started 11 of them. He put up 611 yards. Um, and that was with basically being almost a non-factor for the first half of the year. So I think that uh, he can put up those kind of yards that we're looking for. As far as targets go, now Al Lazard was our most targeted receiver last year. I'm actually putting Romeo Dobbs in that spot this year. I think Romeo Dobbs is going to be the most targeted wide receiver. So if you are trying to think about like fantasy-wise, I think 
Watson and Dobbs are both going to be somewhat comparable in terms of fantasy output. I think Dobbs is probably not really going to be much of a factor in standard scoring fantasy leagues, but in PPR, I think all those extra targets that I'm anticipating he's going to get really boost his value. Um, do they boost him over Christian Watson? Probably not. I think the touchdowns go to Christian Watson. I think the yardage goes to Christian Watson, but those receptions are going to be a plus for Romeo Dobbs. So as far as Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs, I have a hard time really establishing where I think they're going to be at from a yard standpoint. I want Romeo Dobbs to, to, you know, surpass Aaron Jones in targets. I think, you know, we're looking at maybe 80 to 120 targets somewhere in that, in that range. I want to see his, uh, his, uh, reception rate, go up a little bit. He was sitting at 62% last year. I'd like to see that a little bit higher. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones was sitting at 81%, Robert Tunyon, 79, Randall Cobb, 68. I just would like to see him a little bit closer to that. I think that's going to be very uh, impactful for the offense. Yards wise, if I'm saying Christian Watson is going to get 900 yards, um, I, I really think that I want to see Romeo Dobbs around that five to 600 yard mark. And I just, I don't know where Jaden Reed's going to fit in. I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get up to speed. So let's go ahead and compare him to Romeo Dobbs rookie season. Cause I think that, you know, between Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson is about where we should say that Jaden Reed should, should at least be that because he was taken um, later in the second round than Christian Watson was multiple rounds earlier than Romeo Dobbs in the fourth round. And just, you know, from a physical standpoint, I think he's certainly more talented than Dobbs, not as fast as, as Watson. I mean, nobody's as athletic as Watson is, but Dobbs had 425 receiving yards last year. Watson had 611. So, you know, split the difference. You're looking at maybe we're saying we want like four or 500 yards from Jaden Reed, maybe 50 to 60 targets. A little bit hard to say because, you know, we're talking about three wide receivers here um, that we're really trying to to get the ball to. Uh, but I think you're going to see a, a maybe, and this is, uh, we'll get into this more when you do tight ends, but I think maybe a bit of a diminished role for the tight ends just overall as a unit compared to last year. So Jaden Reed expectations, you know, really cement yourself as at least that wide receiver three, maybe be pushing for wide receiver two would be nice. But I, I think that if he is any lower than say wide receiver four in terms of total targets, and that's where I, you know, draw the line about, uh, you know, who's wide receiver one, two, three, it, it comes down to targets. So if, if he is uh, lower than the third or fourth wide receiver in targets, um, and it's not injury related. I'm really going to be concerned. Um, I, I suppose, uh, yeah, there might be some, some context to where, uh, it would make sense, but preseason, I, I think this is about where I'm setting expectations for him. And then what you're really looking for from Jaden Reed is, is growth. I'm not expecting him to be good in the first few weeks, but by the end of the season, I want to see growth and development and really feel like he's a different player in year one. That's kind of what I want to see. And for Romeo Dobbs, I need consistency. We saw the peaks. He was great. We also saw the valleys. If his peaks aren't quite as high, but he's just kind of more steady Eddie. I think I can live with that. 
I just want to see him erase, you know, erase the games where he's, you know, down in the thirties and forties grades and he's got a lot of drops and that kind of stuff. I think he's a really hard worker and I think that he can do that. I think that there's less that he needs to overcome as far as learning curve this year. And so I'm encouraged. I think he's going to get consistent playing time, but you need to see a, a remarkable uh, leap from him in his growth in year two. So that's expectations for the running backs and the wide receivers. Um, I'm definitely way over time today. So I, I kind of rushed the wide receivers more than I really wanted to. So we may do a little bit of double dipping at the beginning of the next episode before we hit the tight ends. And that's going to be a really interesting group to talk about because we've got kind of all new tight ends. <laughs> um, but we also have all new wide receivers. None of the wide receivers that we have here were here in 2021. That's crazy to think about. Turned over the entire wide receiver room in two years. And I think based on what we saw the last two years, you're fine with that. don't think you really wanted any of those guys back besides uh, Devontae. And Devontae wanted a lot of money and also didn't want to be here. So what are you going to do? Keep the guys who aren't any good? No thanks. <laughs> All right. That's it for me today. You guys have a fantastic day. I'll talk to you next week here on the Packernet Podcast Network.